Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. Open your Bibles, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. So, my working title for today was, You Smell Like Death. But I thought that might be a little harsh, and so um, I just changed it to a little more succinct, you stink. That might be a little harsh as well, so how about this, you smell, right? Because that could go either way, right? I mean, somebody says, you smell good, or you smell atrocious. The fact is, um, everybody smells. We smell physically. But we also, there is, a, there is a spiritual aroma that comes off of most of us, or many of us, if we know Christ Jesus. So I don't know about you, but when I was a teenager, when I say teenager, I'm talking middle school-ish, I didn't quite under, now, girls, have, girls are different, as I, actually, I can't even say that, no. When you're a teenager, younger, you, you come to a point where you recognize the value of a bath. But, there, but, but there's a point that you have to get there. Am I, am I right? Right? So when I was younger, middle school and, and uh, maybe even ninth grade, I figured that if I went swimming, baths weren't necessary. Because after all, pools have chlorine. Water in a bathtub has chlorine. Boom. Done. Right? So I would just go swimming. I'm like, sweet. I'll have to take a bath. Five days later, everybody around me would be gagging. They're like, no, really, you have to take a bath. But then I realized that I didn't have to take a bath if I put on enough cologne. So it didn't, it didn't keep me from smelling. It just made me smell differently. So the thing about putting on cologne without taking a bath is this. You don't, you don't take away the stench. You just cover it up, which is even worse. I remember going to church on Sunday mornings. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, oh, he's preaching to you. Uh, I remember going to church on Sunday mornings um, when I was a little, when I was a middle schooler, and my parents would be like, "Jeff, get out of the car." I mean, they would put me in the trunk almost because I put so much. I, I felt if a little bit was good, more was better. It does, and really, I was just trying to hide the smell. Well, the fact is, we all do have an odor. I'm not talking now physically. I'm talking about spiritually. And 2 Corinthians chapter 2 tells us this. But before we get to the odor, let's get to uh, the backdrop of why Paul is saying this to the Corinthian church. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14. Paul writes, But thanks be to God who always leads us in Christ's triumphal procession and through us spreads the aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. For to God we are the fragrance of Christ for, uh, among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To some, we are the aroma of death leading to death. But to others, an aroma of life leading to life. Who is adequate in these things? For we do not market the word of God or profit like so many. On the contrary, we speak with sincerity in Christ as from God and before God. And so I heard this passage preached this, earlier this week, and, and it made me think about what I said last week about going out to the smoker. You know, we go out to the smoker, or at least I went out to the smoker last weekend, and I put some meat in, and I, I was in and out trying to make sure the temperature was right and getting all the settings correct. 
And because I was in the presence of my meat smoker, I smelt like smoke. And if you remember last week, you remember I said that every time I work with the grill or every time I work with the smoker, Shannon has this thing. You can't be around me until you get a shower, right? Because the smell of being with the smoker got onto me and therefore everywhere I went, I began to smell like who I was or what I was with. What Paul is saying here is this. He's saying, you have an aroma, and the aroma is of that of Christ Jesus. And to some, it's good, and to some, it's repulsive. But if you know Christ, you have an aroma. Verse 14 says, but thanks be to God. He's giving thanks to God. He's saying, I am praising God in spite of disappointments. We know that because two verses earlier, verse 12 and 13... He's talking about how difficult it was. He was going one way on his missionary journey and he got turned around. The doors kept shutting and things weren't going the way he had hoped and planned. And so he just decided to go on to Macedonia. But notice that even in the midst of the struggle, even in the midst of the, the difficulty, the, the, the hopes that have been dashed, he still turns around and says, but thanks be to God. Let's just pause for a moment. Are you thankful for God in the midst of the trial? Because really, it's a matter of perspective. You know, I've always said it this way. It could always be worse. You say, you don't know how bad it is for me. No, I'm just telling you, it really could always be worse. It might be really bad for you now, but it could be worse. And even as bad as it might be, there's always reason to give thanks to God. The reason, the utmost reason we have to give thanks to God is what the scripture says next. He says, but thanks be to God... Who always leads us. Always leads us. There is never a time where God does not lead his people. There is never a time where God just steps aside and he's absent. Now he might not be seen as clearly. There might be times where God seems to be far ahead than, than us. And it seems like we're alone. And it seems like we're wondering what step to take next. But the truth is, when those, are the, when those times are happening, it is God who is building us and sanctifying us through his perceived absence, not his real absence. Jesus himself said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So Paul says, but thanks be to God who always leads us. When I hear that word leads, I'm reminded of who Jesus is in the Psalms. Psalm 23, the Lord is my what? Shepherd. Now, what is a shepherd? A shepherd is one who leads the sheep, who provides for the sheep, who cares for the sheep. And if you go through that psalm, we won't do that now, you'll notice that there's such tenderness and compassion. But there's also strength and courage. A shepherd is one who smells like the sheep because he's with the sheep. He's not a hired hand. He's one that knows them, knows what they need, and knows what they want. God always leads his people, and he always, always gives them what they need. He often gives them what they want. The surest way to get what you want is for you to make sure that what you want lines up with what God wants. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and what? 
all of these things will be added unto you. So when you align yourself with the will of God through the word of God, you can be certain that God is going to do his will in you and through you. So he always leads us like a shepherd. He leads us in what? This is beautiful. This is beautiful. He leads us in Christ's triumphal procession. What does that mean? Christ's triumphal procession. So he's writing to the Corinthians. The Corinthians would have understood what a Roman triumph would have been. A Roman triumph or a Roman triumphal procession was when a general had a major victory on a foreign land. The victory had specific criteria. Number one, it had to be on a foreign land. And I think the reason they did that was because you would have these generals do these little battles, kill two or three people to say, I deserve a triumph. Basically, it was a parade throughout the city streets and the town square, and it, it would last anywhere from two to three days, and they would go very slow so that everybody could come out of their houses and storefronts, and they could see and, be, and, and recognize the, the, the strength and the might of this general. So they had to change the rules. You could, it couldn't be a civil war, and it couldn't even be one where there were less than 5,000 killed in one day. So that was kind of, the, kind of the, 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 the requirements. If you killed more than 5,000 in one day of the battle, and if it was in a foreign land and it was new territory, then you were honored by the Roman governor, the Roman ruler, with your own triumph. So the triumph was this processional, and it looked like this. In the front was the spoils of war. So they had all the animals and the gold and... Uh, you know, the, the Lamborghinis that they seized from the other kings, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and they, they would have the spoils, and then they would have the prisoners. They would have the leaders of the land that they conquered. I suppose they would be bound in chains or, or bound somehow. And then all of the, the armies that, that they allowed to live, and they would march them in front of the general. Now, they would do that as a way of shaming them and also reminding them, oh, you're about to die. We just chose not to kill you there so that we can kill you here. Just so you will absolutely guaranteed know that we have conquered you and your people. And so the next thing was the general. Now with the general, they would also have um, the court, not the court, but, but some of the military uh, uh, leaders and the armies with them. And some of the servants and some of the other people in the procession would carry flowers and incense, the aroma. So here's what, G, what Paul is talking about. He's saying that God always leads us. Now remember, he's saying, thank you, God. Thank you, God, in the midst of this trial, in the midst of the struggle, because you always lead us in this triumphal procession. And through us, you spread the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. Picture that in your mind. God is walking with us where he's the star, he's the king, he's the general, but we are with him in this procession and we are becoming the aroma of the knowledge of Christ as we are in this processional. Now, always leads means there's never a time where God is not working in us, through us, and, uh, and for us. In us, through us, and for us. Remember, if God is for you, who can be against you? 
He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it till the day of Christ Jesus. So you have this working of God inside of us, and we don't deserve to be there. We didn't earn our place there. We didn't do anything except for God chose to call us to be along with the journey. But because he's with us and because we are in this procession, we, I guess you could say this, we, we have the same rights and privileges as the general or as the king himself. This is why you can look at the hardship and say, you know what, that is hard, but Jesus Christ is the triumphant king over all things. When we look at the scripture, we find that he's described as the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and he's the end. He's the first, the last. There's none other like him. He has the name above every other name. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is. This is who you are in a procession with. So right now, you are in a procession from God with Jesus as the center. So what is it that happened that makes you stressed? Or so what is it that happened that, that discourages you? I'm not minimizing the stress of discouragement. I'm just saying lift up your eyes and see that God is at work. There is unlimited hope for you and for me because of what Jesus Christ has already done. And it's not a matter of if he's going to do it. It's already been paid for. It's like it's on layaway, I guess. I mean, it's, it's been paid for. You just gotta, it, it's coming around where you just got to pick it up. I don't know if that made sense. It made perfect sense in my head. So listen, the scripture says this. It says, for we are those that God spreads the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. The aroma of the knowledge of him. You know, the Bible tells us that my people are destroyed by a lack of knowledge. Really, it's a lack of truth. We have a truth issue in our culture today. Amen? We have a serious problem because truth has been whittled down and it, and it has been carved out of society. If you don't have truth, you cannot be free. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth shall make you free. He also said that he is the way and he is the truth. You ever notice in our culture how truth seems to be so subjective that we don't even know what? We can say anymore. I mean, think about it. There's so many competing voices. It, it, it's so it's it is it has been so uh, uh, boil. It has been so watered down and, and uh, uh, confused that we don't even know today how to label a person a man or a woman. When you get to that place, you are in a desperate place. And here's what people say: Well, I can just tell you my truth. To, the, to that, I want to respond as graciously and as kindly as, as I possibly can. Say, listen, there's no such thing as your truth. There's such thing as what you believe. There's such thing as what you think. But you don't own truth. You didn't create truth. Truth is something that has been in existence from God himself. You don't create truth. I don't create truth. We discover truth. Amen. Truth is truth is truth. Now look, that doesn't play well outside of these walls. And for some people, it doesn't play well in here. But if you don't have truth, you have chaos and you have bondage. And there's all these competing voices of what truth is. But, Jesus, but God is saying, you are the aroma of Christ 
and the knowledge of Christ. So you are the aroma of truth to the world. And to some people, that aroma of truth is life and it's hope. To other people, it's the aroma of death. The gospel is offensive. We shouldn't try to offend people. But if we are living out the gospel, it will, by definition and by nature, be offensive. Why? Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Think about how dumb it is. A man died on a cross. Anybody can die. I mean, I'm going to die. You're going to die. Death means nothing. Until you look at the backstory and realize that he died at the hands of the Roman government and at the jealousy and at the anger and the vitriol of the, the Jewish leaders. And he died a criminal's death because of trumped up charges. Now that makes it a little clearer, but even still people are accused and pay penalties for things they didn't do. There, there's, there's nothing in and of itself in that that, that, that says, oh, he's, he's, he's something special but what makes it special and what makes it unique and what makes it powerful is that Jesus died in that way. And before he died, he said, don't worry about me dying because in three days I'm going to rise again. And three days later, he did rise again. So the death was the ultimate act of servanthood. The resurrection was the ultimate act of power. The resurrection and the death. You put those two together and you have got the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the rightful ruler of the universe. And all that is in you and me should serve him as well. So he says, you are the aroma of Christ, the knowledge of Christ. And for to God, verse 15, we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Everywhere you go, you leave this odor. You leave this trail. I, I think of the, uh, the uh, what's, what's the kid's name? He, 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 every, he has a blanket and pig pen, yes. As he's walking, he's got this, this cloud of dust, right? Think of it that way. My question to you is this. How do you have the aroma of Christ? What do you have to do to smell like Jesus? And again, you're going to have to kind of work with me because human words, sometimes it, it, it's hard to translate. But if you smell like Jesus, what, is, what would Jesus smell like? Well, he would smell like the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, all that kind of stuff. He would smell like God's grace. He would smell like God's goodness. I mean, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So in him is the fullness of of, of, of God. That, that's what we see because he is God made flesh. And so for us to smell like Christ Jesus means that we're imitating him. We look like him. We, we, we love like him and all those other things that come along with that. But how do you get there? How do you do that? Well, I'm going to offer a very simple way to smell like Jesus. And really, it, it, it's in two different, uh, two different actions. Number one, you smell like Jesus when you abide with Jesus. I would say to you that one of the hardest things for you and for me to do is to abide in Christ. Now, we're really good about working for Christ. We're really good about doing for Christ. Remember Mary and Martha? One of them was up doing the dishes and serving the food and making sure the floors were swept. And the other one was just sitting at Jesus' feet. And she, you know, she was just right there listening. 
And then the one got upset at her sister and said, hey, don't you see all this work to do? And Jesus said, whoa, whoa, whoa. What she's doing is the right thing. All this other stuff, it's important, but it's not nearly as important as just sitting and being with me. Listen, folks, the hardest thing in your life and in my life is to abide with Christ. And if the devil can't make us bad, he's going to make us busy. And he's going to make us busy oftentimes with good stuff. But the problem with doing good stuff without abiding in Christ is you do good stuff without power. And nobody needs or wants to do good stuff without power. It's the power that comes through abiding with Christ that we become the aroma of Christ. And out of that, we're far more fruitful and far more effective. John 15 tells us that if we remain in Him and He remains in us, we will bear much fruit. I am constantly driven to this one thought. Jeff, you must pray more. Because if you pray more, God will do more. It's constant, and it's this, it's this, it's like a hamster on a wheel. You ever feel like that? Just this constant, okay, I got to pray more, but I'm so busy, but I got to pray more, but I'm busy, but I pray, and it's like, ah, what I want to say to you is this, abiding in Christ is the most important, I don't even, I want to say task, I almost said task, it is the most important thing that you could do the rest of your life. So what does it mean to abide in Christ? It's the difference between a quick sear on a steak and putting a brisket in the smoker. See, if you're going to do a quick sear, you're going to get the grill up to seven or 800, uh, uh, I almost said PSI, that's the wrong. Um, yes, degrees. Or if you go to one of the real fancy restaurants. 1,600 degrees, right? I'm thinking Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego at that point. Oh, I'd hate to be the guy to throw the steak in. I mean, you'd have to be way off, right? 1,600 degrees. If you have a, 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 a big green egg, 800 degrees. You throw it on there for a minute on each side, and it gives it a perfect sear on the outside. Then you pull that thing off. You let it rest a little. I'm making you hungry, aren't I? By the way, I just got to tell you, my son went camping this past week. Would you believe the kid decided to borrow out of my freezer two ribeyes to take camp and to cook over a fire? He kind of snuck it in and then told us later, oh, by the way, I got some meat. You brought $30 worth of meat on a camping trip? <laughs> he did that. It was the best we've ever had. Yeah, I'll bet it was. You owe me $30 now. But, but you, 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 what the heck was I saying? I don't know. I was rabbit. Um, so, so you, you sear it, and, and what you want to do after you let it rest, you cut into it, and it's perfect, right? But the thing is, that's not what you're supposed to do with abiding with Christ. It's not coming to church, leaving, okay, I got my done for the week. It's not listening to a song, singing it. It's not even having one of those quiet times. You remember the quiet times we used to talk about? Okay, I'm going I'm to read my passage. I'm going to read my devotional. I'm going to say the three prayers that they asked me to say. Okay, good. I'm going to go for the rest. That's not what abiding in Christ is. That's, that's doing good stuff, but that's not abiding. Abiding is much more like a piece of meat in a smoker. You set it low and cook it slow for a long period of time. And if you want to really follow this analogy, if you put a brisket in a smoker, it's going to cook 
slowly, and then it's going to get hit about 160 degrees and do what? Stall. Listen. It's going to stall. And for the next couple of hours, it's going to stay there. And you're going to be like, man, it's done cooking. It won't get any hotter. And if you pull it at that temperature, you are shortchanging the true nature of what you're trying to accomplish in that piece of meat. You got to let it stall. And then after the stall, it kicks back in and it starts to rise. And after it starts to rise, the full flavor and the full uh, tenderness of this thing begins to be realized. To abide in Christ is to go low and slow with God. It's to plod your way through the scriptures. It's to sit down and say, Lord, I'm not trying to get through a study. I want to simply rest in your presence and let you tell me what you want me to know. So I want to just give you a very simple way to have what we call quiet time. But you can call it whatever you want. There are three rules. You got to set a time. You got to set a place. And you got to set a passage. I would say, instead of the passage, you got to set a book. You got to set a time. Figure out how you're... By the way, do you know the single most, most important part of your spiritual growth is not church? Now, church is an important part. You should be here. The Bible says don't give up the, the meeting together. But the single most determining factor of your intimacy with Christ is not Sunday mornings. It's your daily abiding with Him. Those who are in the Scripture on a consistent daily basis have, they, they, when asked, they are far more spiritually minded. They are far more spiritually effective. They are far more at peace. They are far more everything. Because when you get into the Word, the Word begins to get into you. It's like marinating. I have all these food issues, don't I? You can tell. But think about it. If, if you marinate in something, you are going into this, allowing it to pierce the outside of, your, of who you are and get to the heart so that every part of you is saturated with, with the words of Christ. The Bible tells us, let the word of Christ dwell in you Richly, That's the idea, to marinate in it. So set a time, set a place, set a passage. Take 10 minutes out of your day. You say, well, 10 minutes is not enough. Listen, 10 minutes that you actually do is better than the hour that you don't do. Amen? Take 10 minutes. Maybe 15, but you, you can work your way up in time, but stay, take a time, literally put it on your calendar. Say from... Uh, 6 o'clock to 6.10, I'm going to abide with Christ. And then when 6 o'clock, and the reason you put it on your calendar is because if it's not a habit, something else will get in the way every single time, guaranteed, no exceptions. The babies will start crying, the phone will ring, you'll have a salesman come to your door, whatever. If you decide to abide in Christ, if you don't intentionally put it down, you're probably not going to do it until it becomes a habit. So you put a time, 10 minutes, whatever, I would set your clock. And I would, I would push a stop clock or a start watch, whatever it's called. I would say start, set it aside. Set a time, set a place. That means go somewhere where you can be alone. Sometimes it's a closet. Sometimes it's a back porch. Sometimes it's 
uh, it's it, Panera, I don't know, whatever. Go there, set the time, and then set a passage. Decide where you're going to plod through. Do you know what the word plod means? To plod means to just kind of kind of mosey on through. An intentional, step by step, moment by moment. So you're plodding through a particular passage of Scripture or a particular book of Scripture. The hardest thing about anything is starting. You're going to go, wait a minute, where do I start? Doesn't matter. Start with 1 Corinthians. Start with John. Start easy. Start with 1 Peter. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to begin by saying, God, I just want to abide with you. I, I, just, I just want to abide with you, and I want to hear from you. What you're doing is you're slowing down long enough to hear God's voice. Now, one, a couple of things are going to happen. Number one, you're going to have a thousand things shoot through your mind at that moment. You're going to start thinking about what you have to cook for dinner. You're going to start thinking about the uh, oil that you have to change in your truck. You're going to start thinking about the insurance thing you're going to have to call about and all. The most, most of the time when that happens, we get all freaked out. We're like, no, 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 stay away, stay away. I'm trying. No, do something different. When those things rush through your mind, here's, a, here's your response. Lord, why is that so important to me right now? Am I worried about it? Am I trusting you in it? Lord, why, why do I keep thinking about this party this weekend? Has it become too important to me? So you're just asking God to reveal to you why all of these things are rushing through your mind. Here's the thing. They're rushing through your mind because they are in your mind. They're part of what's going on in your life. And what you're doing is you're surrendering them to God. And you're saying, Lord, I yield these things to you. See, I used to feel guilty about this. I used to start, and after like 12, or 12, after like 12 seconds, I'd be thinking about something else. Instead of feeling guilty, just, Lord, why are these things so important? What you're going to find, the more you learn to abide, is you're going to find that it is going to be easier to get consistently quiet before the Lord. Because you're going to have this thing happen inside where it starts to marinate and it starts to just draw you in. So as these things you're going through, that's what you're doing. And then you're going to just start reading the scripture. If you do 1 Peter, you just start reading it. And your goal is not to get through it. Your goal is for it to get through you. Your goal is not to get through scripture. Your goal is to get scripture through you. Now, if you marinate a piece of meat, what do you do? You take a Ziploc, you put the marination in, you put the meat in, you zip it up and you, you go like this and then you do what? You set it in the fridge, right? But if you really want to get to the inside, there's a little trick. What is it? You take the piece of meat and you put holes in it, right? You punch holes all the way through. You pierce it so that it has access to the inside. When you are abiding with Christ, you allow God to pierce those areas that are hidden. That's being vulnerable. That's being transparent. And look, God already knows anyway, so you might as well tell him, Lord, I'm angry at you. I'm angry at you because I feel like you didn't show up at this time when, I, when I, you should have shown up. But Lord, I'm, maybe I'm not seeing something, so, so show me. Do this one thing, and you will smell like Christ. Not overnight. But gradually, as you look back on your life, you're going to realize that the aroma of Christ is, is emanating from you. Everywhere you go, there'll be this cloud of Jesus-like aroma that is coming off of you. Which leads me to the second thing that you do if you want to uh, have the aroma of Christ. 
having the aroma of Christ is you abiding in Christ and you being with those who are abiding in Christ. If you put yourself in constant relationship with people who are walking with Jesus, you will have their life and their faith rub off on you. You will start to think like the people you hang around. You will start to act like the people you hang around. So if you want to act, if you want to smell of the aroma of Christ, hang out with people who smell of the aroma of Christ. I have a friend who's going to preach here on Mar- uh, May 22nd. His name is Jeff. I became friends with him a couple of months ago. I've talked about him before. But this weekend, he's doing a marriage conference over in Baldwin County. And, and I found out that he was going to have some time Friday night. So Shannon and I said, hey, we're going to drive over an hour to go see you. Why would you do that? Because just hanging out with him encourages me. Because I see his faith and I, and I see the kindness and the love that he has for people. And I want to be around people who are like the kind of people that I want to be around. Or like the kind of people I want to be. Amen? Don't you want to be like that? Start hanging out with those people. Tag along. Just make yourself, just make yourself behind you. Anytime you have a chance to carry the bags of a holy man, carry them. Anytime you have a chance to drive a person who walks with Jesus, drive for them. Make a way to be with them. And here's what you'll find. You'll find that they will start to... They will start to rub off on you and God will begin to make you the kind of person where other people want to be around and hang around. So as we finish this passage, it says, To some we are an aroma of death leading to death, but to others we are the aroma of life leading to life. So to those who are perishing, to those who are not born again, those who are rejecting the gospel, we will become more and more offensive and more and more as the day approaches of, of Jesus returning. Why? Because truth is getting more and more repulsive to those who reject truth. But to those who are life, those who are, who are, who are being saved, we will become more and more refreshing, more and more hopeful. We will become more and more Jesus with skin on, as they say. So this last verse says this. For we, or or the, 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 just before the last verse, who is adequate for these things? Paul is saying, who, who's adequate to be the aroma of Christ? We're not adequate in, our, in and of ourselves. It has to do with what God is doing in us. It is that process of sanctification that God is at work in us because he's at work in us. He is fulfilling his purposes in our lives and it overflows into the lives of other people. It says, who's adequate? No one is adequate, but we do not market the word of God for profit like so many others. On the contrary, we speak with sincerity in Christ as from God and before God. So it says, we do not market the word of God. That word market is a word that means to uh, be a con artist. It's one... Uh, a, a better translation would be a huckster. It's one who looks really good on the outside but has no depth and has no, no truth on the inside. It, it's, it's a guy who's selling fruit and he's got some rotten fruit so he takes the basket of rotten fruit and puts some good fruit on top. That way when you buy it, you buy what you see but when you start peeling it off you realize that it's rotten underneath. That's what a huckster is. That's what it means for someone to market uh, the word of God. Paul is saying we do not market the word of God. We do not have to trick anybody. We don't have to 
to, to do anything to impress anyone. All we have to do is abide in Christ Jesus and let the aroma of God flow through us because abiding in Him means that we will, by definition, smell like Him. To those who are being saved, it's the aroma of life. To those who are dying, it's the aroma of death. But we smell like Jesus. Then he says, on the contrary, we speak with sincerity in Christ as from God and before God. Sincerity in Christ. That's a word that has two, two words that come together. It's judging in the sunlight. So we are, we are speaking these words um, with sincerity. Words that have been judged by the sunlight. It's the idea of taking a, a piece of paper and holding it between the sunlight and, and my eyes. And the sunlight is piercing through, showing what's really inside of this, of this object. So as we speak truth, God is speaking truth through us. And it's been the, the sincere truth because we've been with him and we've heard from him and we know him. So my encouragement to you today is this. Allow the work of God to continue in your life, but be patient. Be intentional. And be at rest. Like literally, that's what God wants from us. He wants us to charge the gates of hell. But what he really wants before that and in the midst of that and after that is for us to abide in him and let him lead the charge. Remember the story in Joshua? I think it's chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6, the battle of uh, Jericho. God says to uh, Joshua, hey, listen, um, this city, it belongs to my people. So, so you're going to... You're going to take this city. And Joshua says, okay, great. Let's, let's get a battle plan. God goes, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to gather the people and I want you to walk around it. And I want you to play instruments. We could say, I want you to worship me. I want you to focus on me and walk around the city. Uh, okay, okay, so that's a good start. That's, I guess maybe terrify them inside. Okay, now day number two, I want you to walk around it again. Okay, okay. They might be throwing stuff off the walls. That's fine. He says, do that for seven days. On the seventh day, walk around it seven times. And now I just have to imagine Joshua's going, wait a minute. You mean to tell me that, that that's the battle plan? That, that, that's what you want me to do? And, and this city's going to be ours? And God says, yes. Because the battle is not yours. The battle is mine. What I want from you is for you to abide and obey. If you will abide and obey, the stuff that is impossible, I, as the Lord God Almighty, will do before your eyes. And sure enough, seventh day, seven times around, seven times around, they blew the trumpets, the walls began to fall in. And there's a great victory. Abide. And obey. If you close your eyes and bow your head for just a moment, I want to invite you to surrender a part of your day to abide. It can be the morning. It can be the evening. It can be the daytime. Don't get caught up in the, legal, the legalities of it. When can you abide this week, every day, for the next seven days? I want you just to yield to God, even now. Say, Lord... This is going to be your time this week. 
And Lord, I recognize that it's going to be a fight to keep this. But God, I want to know you. And I want to, I want to have the aroma of Christ all in me and over me and through me. And who do you need to be around this week who smells like what you want to smell like? Commit to calling them. Say, hey, let's grab coffee. Let's just have a phone call. Let's meet for lunch. This morning, if you're here, if you're watching by way of television or Facebook, if you've not ever trusted Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to know Him today. Will you surrender your life to Him? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. That is a promise. Your only hope is Jesus. Will you yield to Him now? Church, let's stand. And as we stand, I want you just to, in an attitude of prayer, begin to let God shape your heart for this coming week to abide with Him. I also want to invite you, if you have something going on in your life that you need, you'd like for someone else to pray with you about, um, Shannon, will you come up? And Mary, if you'll come up. Um, Saga, if you'll come up as well. If you need someone to pray with you, maybe you've got a, a big decision, maybe you've just, you're struggling with something, will you come up and, and, and let somebody join hands with you and pray? Let's do this together. Let's sing. Find out more about First Baptist Church, go 